Only a few more weeks and we will be in our uh, refurbished, revamped sanctuary, first of no member or so. Uh, so we're eager for that day, but we are grateful to Travis and to the choir and all the musicians who have made this Hudson Hall quite the experience. And uh, we're grateful for your in, uh, support and attendance uh, through this uh, transition. And we look forward to completing it on another side. Then there'll be something else. So you know how it goes. Um, uh, you know, nature has a word for, for things that are not growing, uh, dead. <laughs> and so if you're growing, you're going to change. It's going to, always going to be part of it. That's so. Uh, I don't know if you uh, noticed it, but this past week, uh, I celebrated 31 years of being the pastor of Brentwood Baptist Church. <clears throat> I, was, uh, I was hired right out of the second grade and, uh, and came here. So. Oh, um. I love the Civil War and uh, studying the Civil War and, and all that uh, happened in our nation during that time. Uh, and it's interesting when you read the history how easily the North could have ended that war had somebody had the courage to strike. Um, the Southern armies were, were poorly organized. They were poorly outfitted. Um, the difference between the Northern Army and the Southern Army at the beginning of the war was that uh, all of the, the generals in the United States Army at the time of the Civil War were Southerners. Uh, Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, all of these uh, inspiring leaders were Southerners, and they were loyal to their states, not to, to the United States. So for the first part of the war anyway, that the South had much better leadership than the northern armies did. Uh, it took Abraham Lincoln some time before he found General Grant in the west and put Grant in charge of the Army of the Potomac, and Grant matched Lee's uh, strategic ability and fierceness in, in fighting. Um, one of Abraham Lincoln's early appointees as, uh, uh, as general of the Potomac, the Army of the Potomac, was George McClellan. And, and he, he, you can't blame Lincoln for appointing him. I mean, he looks like a general, right? I mean, everything is, uh, is spit, polished, shine. He, he looked good. He was a determined man, a disciplined man. He, in, he instilled a great deal of discipline in, uh, in the Army of the Potomac. They were well-drilled, well-outfitted, well-armed. Uh, general McClellan did everything but fight. Uh, he, would, he would face up on Lee's army, would never attack. He would outflank Lee's army, but never attack. There are a couple of times when historians believed, had McClellan pressed his advantage, that we could have ended the Civil War very, very early on, uh, after the Battle of Antietam, although both armies were, were, uh, were wounded and, and weakened by that battle, by the brutality of that battle, Lee, Lincoln's army was almost destroyed. And had McClellan pressed it there, we may have could have ended the war right there. He didn't. He never would engage. He wouldn't fight. He'd talk about it, meet about it, strategize about it, make plans about it. Just would never do it. In our world, in our church world, we are 
concerned about the state of the world. And every time we get together for coffee, we'll talk about how bad things are and what needs to change and, and how we need to respond. We just don't ever respond. We'll call another meeting. We'll have another worship service. We'll gather back on the mountain. But the fight's in the valley. It's an old problem of the church, old problem for the people of God. In fact, it goes all the way back to Deuteronomy, even before that. But stand with me in honor of God's word as we read this passage together that we find in the very first chapter of Deuteronomy. The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb. You have stayed on this mountain long enough. Resume your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites, to their neighbors, the Araba, the hill country, the Judean foothills, and the Gav, the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates River. See, I have set this land before you. Enter and take possession of this land that the Lord swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their future descendants. And the Lord God spoke to us at Horeb. You have been on this mountain long enough. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. It is one thing to praise you. It is one thing to focus our worship on you. It is a whole nother thing to be in the fight for you. So as we gather on this mountain and worship and remember who you are, we pray, Lord Jesus, that we'll know who we are when the fight comes. We pray this in your name. Amen. The book of Deuteronomy has an interesting history, and we have talked about it from time to time. Uh, some see it as the culmination of the first four books of the Bible, uh, what we call the Torah, uh, and uh, you will see Deuteronomy repeating and, and, and reemphasizing some of the same major themes that you see in the first four books of the Bible. Deuteronomy literally means second law. And so a lot of times when you read Deuteronomy, you'll say, oh, I've seen this before. I've heard this before. Yes, you have, because it's in the first four books. Uh, another part of that history is some think that it was actually put together in the time of King Josiah. Uh, King Josiah was leading a religious reformation. He was restoring Israel back or Judah back uh, to its worship of God, was rebuilding the temple. And in the rebuilding of the temple, they found a scroll. We're told the story. We're not told what they found. We're just told that they found a law, a copy of the law. We think that it was Deuteronomy. We think there was some kind of uh, priest who pulled together the main themes of the first four books of the Bible and re-emphasized them, stuck them in the rubble of the temple so that when the workers turned over a particular stone, oh, we found the second law. We found a copy of the law to enhance the, uh, the, the Reformation, to focus the Reformation. Now, it's interesting at these times of transition, and both times are times of transition, uh, you would think that coming out of Egypt, uh, that the people would walk due east from Egypt to the promised land. Okay, it is a straight shot. But if you've looked in the maps of your Bible, in the back there, the things you do when the sermon gets boring, and you've noticed the journeys from Egypt, 
you will notice they don't go in a straight line from Egypt to the promised land. They will walk out of Egypt, cross the Red Sea, and head due south. Make this giant V before they get to the promised land. Head due south. And they go all the way to the southern end of the, of the, uh, of the Sinai Peninsula. And there at Mount Horeb, where this scene happens, is where God galvanizes his people into a nation. Now, understanding, they're coming out of Egypt. They don't know how to be a nation. They have to restore their national identity. They are suffering PTSD. They don't know who they are. They're trying to scramble. They have to restore the family because slavery destroys the family. They have to restore their own identity because slavery takes away your identity. So at Mount Horeb, two things happen. God reintroduces himself. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is who I am. Because this is who I am, now this is who you are. You aren't defined by Egypt's slavery. You will not be defined by the people of Canaan by the Canaanites and the Amorites, the people who already live in the promised land. You will not be defined by anything or anybody other than your relationship to me. Now, another time of transition. Assyria has faded off the scene. The Assyrian Empire has fallen. Judah, in this quirk of history, finds itself to be a free nation. Jerusalem is now the capital of a free people. They've never been a capital of a free people, not in anybody's lifetime that they can know of. So what does it mean to be a capital of a free people in a nation of free people? What does it mean? We're going to find out in this transition, like the time of coming out of Egypt, that you need to know two things. One, you need to know who God is, and you need to know who you are. And you won't be defined by anything or anybody other than your relationship with God. Now, Horeb is where that identity is fashioned. The promised land is where it's lived out. Okay, you've been here long enough. Class is now over. Now, let's go to the promised land, and we're going to live out what we have learned you're going to live out what you have learned. There's the time of teaching, there's the time of learning, and there is the time of doing. So we gather on the mountain, we have this incredible experience, we worship, now it's time to leave and go live it out. Yes, yeah, Sunday is wonderful, Monday is tough. We'd rather stay on Sunday. Why can't every day be like Sunday? Because the battle is fought on Monday. The battle is fought on Tuesday. You can't stay on the mountain because the battle is fought in the valley. Now, this is always a temptation of Christians. We always want to pull together in our own little group and stay in our own little group because it's safe in our group. 
We want to go to church with people we like. We want to live in the neighborhood, people we like. We want to go to Christian schools. We would have Christian friends. We don't want our children playing with the children who aren't Christian, lest those children infect our children. Why is it that it's always bad kids that make our kids bad? Right? Have you ever had a parent come to you and say, listen, I understand you guys are Christians. We don't want your children playing with our children. Why? Well, we're not Christians, but our children are praying. Our children are reading the Bible. Your kids are a bad influence on our kids. That never happens, does it? It's never our kids that make the other neighbors more Christian. It's always those kids that make our kids bad. That doesn't seem right. But that's what happens. So we'd rather stay in our own little group. We'd rather stay in our own little, little kind of gospel ghetto. Stay on the mountain. But the fight's in the valley. It's, it, 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 we don't ever get over this. I mean, Matthew 17 tells a story about the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember the story. Jesus takes three of his disciples up to the top of the mountain, and there they have an unimaginable worship experience. Uh, Moses and Elijah show up to talk to Jesus about the test that will be coming to, to Jesus, the crucifixion and, and all that is before Jesus. Uh, and in that moment, Jesus being fully God and fully, uh, fully man, the divinity of Jesus really shows through. And Peter and James and John are overwhelmed. They don't know what to do with this moment. And so when this moment is over, Peter jumps up and says, it was so great to be here. Why don't we just stay here? Why don't we just build three temples, uh, three tabernacles, three tents. We'll have one for you, one for Elijah. We'll have one for, for Moses. And, and people can come and visit. We'll recreate this experience. We'll charge admission. Um, and we will have our first religious theme park uh, here at the Mount of Transfiguration. We will never have to leave this moment. Remember what Jesus said? We have to go. We can't stay here. And go down the mountain and Jesus walks in to one of the most frustrating moments of his ministry. The disciples are arguing among themselves. There's a man there with his son. He's arguing with the disciples. Everybody's mad. Everybody's frustrated. Finally, Jesus hears what's happened. A man has brought his son, who was demon-possessed, to the disciples for them to heal. They can't heal him. They do everything they know to do. Now, they have healed before. They just can't do this one. That makes the father mad. That makes the disciples mad. They start blaming each other, yelling at each other. And finally, Jesus comes and says, listen. And he talks to the father. And the father says, Jesus, if you want to, you can make my son whole. And Jesus says, if I want to, everything is possible for those who believe. Remember the father's answer? I believe. Help my unbelief. In that moment, I can see Jesus just looking at him, not saying anything, just looking at him. And the father's quickly saying, oh, I believe. And then kind of thinking, no, I don't. Not anymore. There's been too many trips to the doctor. There's been too many medications that didn't work. There's been too many things that we thought was going to change. Too many times we thought it'd be different. And it's not. 
Maybe I used to believe, but I can't believe anymore. But please, Jesus, don't make my unbelief be the only reason you don't work in my kid's life. And Jesus heals the son. The father and son leave, and the disciples gather around and go, why couldn't we heal this guy? Why couldn't we do this? Do you remember what Jesus said? It's the most troubling answer for me and, and, and a lot of the New Testament. Jesus tells the disciples, some things can only be handled through much prayer. Okay, now here's what bothers me about that. When Jesus prayed, he prayed with such intensity, he sweat blood. The capillaries of his skin would break and blood would ooze through the pores like sweat. That's Jesus praying. Has there ever been a time where Jesus looked at me? Has there ever been a time when Jesus looked at you and said, hmm, wow, that's a lot of prayer. How do you go from a little bitty prayer, kind of major prayer, I'm really serious about this prayer, to rating on Jesus' scale of a lot of prayer? Most of us never get there because we never engage in the fight. We'd rather stay on the mountain and worship. But the fight's in the valley. There's always that disconnect, isn't there? There's disconnect between what you dream it will be like <laughs> and what it's actually like. You want to be a parent and then at 2 in the morning, you're talking to this kid again. And you don't even like them now. <laughs> and then it hits you. This kid's never going to leave. It's not that they move out when they're 18. No, they never leave. You're going to be talking to this kid at 2 in the morning for the rest of your life. There's a difference between the dream of being a parent and the reality of being a parent. There's a difference, isn't there, between the dream of the promised land and the actual promised land. Did you see how big this land was? Did you notice that? To the Euphrates, to the Mediterranean, Israel never inherited the full promise of God. Never. Because they wouldn't engage. Wouldn't stay faithful. We'd rather just stay here in this worship experience. But let me ask you something. Are you concerned about the issue of transgenderism? So what do you want to do? Hold another conference? Or will you engage in the preschool ministry, in the children's ministry, in the students' ministry, so that every time a young man or a young woman walks into this building, they can say, that's what a godly man looks like. That's what a godly woman looks like.
Well, it's one thing to stay on the mountain, but the fight's in the valley. Did you know that Tennessee struggles to find enough foster homes for children who need foster care? And in some counties right around us, they have so many foster children and such a lack of foster homes that the children are sleeping in the offices of the, uh, of the Children's Services Building because there aren't homes. That's why you will continue to hear us talk about what we're going to be doing in the foster and adoption care ministry. Because the world says to us, yes, you're pro-life, but you only care about the kid till they're born. And then you don't care anymore. There is no reason a child should ever have to sleep on the floor of a federal building in Middle Tennessee. One thing to be on the mountain. Fights in the valley. Do you know your neighbors? Oh, Mike, we got people moving in from all over. Yeah, I know. Have you met them? Are you praying for them? I'm not asking you to go door to door with evangelism. I'm asking you to prayer walk. Just walk through your neighborhood so that your neighbors know there's somebody who loves them enough to pray for them routinely. It's one thing to be here on the mountain, didn't it? But the fight's in the valley. Israel never inherited the full promise. You know, the old preachers tell a story of a man who died and went to heaven. And the angel was giving him a tour. They came across this big warehouse of everything this man had always wanted and he asked the angel, said, what's in this warehouse? He said, oh, these are the prayers you never asked for. These are all the things God wanted to give you that you never asked for. There's a promise waiting for you to take possession of. There's a promise waiting for you to claim as your inheritance. But you can't do it on the mountain. Because the fight's in the valley. Let's pray together. your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I'm not going to do anything to put you on the spot. I'm not going to embarrass you. I don't want to do that. I do want you to think about your own life. For some of you, it's as simple as you thinking right now, 
and hearing Jesus telling you what he wants you to do next. It may be as simple as call a neighbor. It may be call, talk to somebody at work, start a Bible study. It may be something really, really simple, but it may end up being very, very profound. And this is a matter of you saying yes and responding to it. Perhaps it's come be part of this church family, to come be part of who we are and what we're doing. We'd love to have you as part of the family. Maybe you want to know more about your relationship with Christ. We're waiting for you. Answer all these questions and more at the Welcome Center. Go out here and turn right. You'll see it. Don't leave here. Well, those questions unanswered. He's waiting for you where you are. The church waits for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open, every heart. So we pray now that the choices we make are exactly what you want.